yeah, being here after six years and being able to support that is, is actually the biggest achievement ever. You know what I mean? It's just remarkable, remarkable that a, a young man of 29 comes into a big city and borrows money and opens up a restaurant and he's still here six years later. And yeah, I'm just, I'm so proud of myself. I'm so proud of my team over the years, every individual that's worked here over the years. Um, and yeah, long it continue because we, we enjoy doing what we do and we enjoy making people happy. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Inspiration can come from many things. Creativity can be fueled by a moment in time, by a memory, from just about anything. Some chefs find inspiration in ingredients, in the season, in a cuisine, in their heritage. Some look further afield to take diners into a new realm. Nellie Robinson is a chef and owner of Nell in Sydney. Nellie, how are you going? Very well, Anthony. How are you? I'm good. It's good to have you on the show. You um, have quite an interesting um, approach to, to cookery at Nell. What's, what's it been like, the journey of having your own restaurant and uh, the way that you um, deliver your food, which is so left of centre compared to many chefs? Yeah, I think at the end of the day, I think, you know, I was 29 when I first opened Nell, which was a big, ballsy statement, I think. You know, I was working abroad and, and in Europe, and I hadn't really worked in the city or in Australia that much. So I think when Nell came on the scene, I think people were a bit like, what the hell's this, you know? And who's this 29-year-old bloke trying to do something different? And it felt like that at the start. But then once we settled into our traps and everything, um, we managed to open, and I still, not a lot of people know this, Anthony, I actually only had $2 left in my account when I actually opened the restaurant. Um, so if, if people, people hadn't come, I would have gone, oh shit, I've got, I've got a big loan to pay off and that's it. <laughs> you know, it was, it was a bit like that, but uh, luckily people came and, and when we first opened, it was all about produce, which we still, you know, we're massively into produce and where that produce comes from. Um, and then it was all about then creating that menu. And as we've evolved over the years, I actually managed to get the staff and bad thoughts coming out of my brain and into the plate, which was, you know, we, we storytell and that's what life's about is about, you know, memories and, um, you know, experiences in life. And we create that and put that onto a plate. And, um, you know, once that started kicking off after about the two year mark, um, people have just, you know, gone mental for it um, and you know we're so proud of what we've achieved well i want to take a deep dive into the creative creative process that you have and telling that story on the plate soon but take us back to the stories of when you were young when did food become interesting for you well i grew up in north north manchester so blackburn a little town um just north of manchester about 30 minutes north and um Food wasn't anything in our house. My dad was a, a typical Northern English man. He was pies and sausage rolls and fish and chips, as you know, the old stories that you get from from England. Um, and if you put, you know, caviar or anything in front of him, he'd just push it away and say, no, thank you. So it was it was quite a remarkable upbringing. It was it'd be a sandwich for lunch and that would be it, or a soup. Um, and then at around the age of uh, 13, 14 at school, um, I had to choose my technology and... As people know me, I'm terrible with, with tools like, you know, saws and drills. So I wasn't going to go down wood, woodwork or out like that. Uh, and I enjoyed I enjoyed food and, and I enjoyed eating food. Um, so I chose food technology and I fell in love with the, with the way that recipes came together. And 
Um, at the time, I was playing football for, for Burnley as well. So I got a semi-professional contract with a professional club, um, which a lot of people know about. And um, so I was playing for them as well as being at school. And then I had to choose which way I was going to go. And my dad always sat me down and he said to me, Nell, you know, you can either become a footballer and, and retire at 31, 32. And he actually said this answer. And he said, oh, you can open your own restaurant at 30. And and I went, and that's always stuck in my mind. So when I did it at 29, I actually went, oh, my God. I've, I've, I actually had a moment when I opened it. And I was like, Dad, I hope you're proud. You know, that's a big thing. Um, so I went down the road then. And I, I was pot washing as well for at a one Michelin star restaurant called Northcourt Manor in the north of England, which is a beautiful country house, you know, stunning food. It's had a Michelin star for 30 years, Anthony. Like, it's a, it's a real um, substantial restaurant in England. Um, and Nigel Howarth was the was my chef patron at the time, and he offered me an apprenticeship. Um, and he said, "Look, now you know, come in." But then Craig Bancroft, who was the front of house manager, actually offered me a front of house um, apprenticeship um, because of my personality. So he said, "You know, you know, come in." And um, I think I went I went there on work experience, but I went in as a front of house, not as a chef. And I managed I managed to get like 150 quid in tips. <laughs> in one week, you know, three hundred dollars, and and he turned around to me, did Craig, and he goes, "My God, that's unbelievable!" And I was like, "Oh, thank you very much." But food was always the passion because I was watching these guys every day when I was pot washing, and I could see the passion in the chefs. Um, and at that time, Northcourt had an unbelievable team, like unbelievable team. Um, so, and a lot of them have gone on to open their own restaurants and got Michelin stars themselves. So, yeah, it's, um, it was an amazing experience. So I started at 15. Well, tell us about when you first uh, stepped into the kitchen and, and what it was like in those days, the kitchen. Yeah, it was, it was a smaller kitchen then. Uh, Warwick Dodds was the head chef. He was at Chef Nico, which is a three Michelin star restaurant in um, London. He worked with Passy um, in London. So Passy always says to me that Warwick's one of the best chefs he's ever worked with. So he was 26 at the time as the head chef. And then Mark Birchall was sous chef. Mark's now got more hall. I don't know if you've ever heard of it in England. It's just got his second Michelin star. Um, so he's running that at the minute. So I had some amazing people that brought me up in the industry, in the kitchen. And look, it was tough. I, and I'll be honest with you, you know, I was 15. I didn't know. I wasn't disciplined. I'd just come from school. Um, I'm a mouthy bastard, as you can tell with, my, <laughs> with the way I am. Uh, and they they basically armied me and they kicked me into touch very quickly. Um, and I started off in the pastry section and dessert section. So I, I was there. And then the pastry chef actually quit uh, eight weeks into my apprenticeship. And I actually got chucked into run pastry. So I was actually running pastry at 16 years of age. And, and it was just like making souffles and, and you know, making, um, you know, like uh, assiettes of chocolates and things like they were on them days on the Pim's jellies. Um, so I had to grow up very, very quickly, um, and I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And, and uh, it got to a time where I was doing, you know, like 15, 16, 17-hour days, and my dad would drop me off in the morning at, you know, 7 o'clock, and then he'd pick me up again at 1.30, 2 o'clock in the morning, bless him. Um, and then it got to the point where he was that tired that he actually went and spoke, spoke to Nigel behind my back, saying, this guy's 16 years of age. You, you shouldn't be working these hours. And Nigel turned around to my dad and said, no, 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 he wants to do it. We've told him, <laughs> you know, so, um, because I just wanted to learn. Um, so, yeah, that was that was pretty special. That, and I grew quite quickly in the ranks at, at Northcourt there. And, and, yeah, I got up to 
senior chef to pipe very, very quickly. Um, I think I was 17 at the time when I got that position. Um, and I just enjoyed it. I went moved into the main kitchen and learned all the sauce section, which was the hardest section in the kitchen. But I, I was very fortunate to work with Mark for a long time on sauce. And he taught me so much. Um, and then I was with Warwick on, on, other, on the fish section. And yeah, just continued to grow in there. And it was just a delightful time. You mentioned that um, a lot of your career was in the UK before you came out here and no one knew who you were um, until Nell sort of blossomed. What were some of the really key uh, restaurants and kitchens that you worked with in the UK? So I worked around, I worked at Northcourt for overall about seven years, which was, you know, all the way to 22. But in the time of when it would shut, you would go and work with other chefs. Um, but then there was also times of there was a thing called obsession, Anthony, which is uh, where chefs would come to Northcourt and take over the kitchen. Um, so Heston came when he was only a two Michelin star chef at the time. Um, so Heston was there for this amazing night. And the funny story about Heston was it was the time when he did his bacon and egg ice cream, and he was in pastry with me, and I was making this base for his ice cream, and he's looking over my shoulder, and Jockey was with him, his pastry chef. And they're both going, right, okay, now this is the time where you split the eggs for the bacon and egg ice cream. And I looked at him and I went, because Nigel had always said, if you split that vanilla ice cream first, Nell, like, I'll kick you in the mouth. Like, just, just don't do that. So I'm looking at my boss, looking at Esther going, you want me to split this? And he's like, yeah, split it. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to get in trouble here. <laughs> it was just one of them moments. So there was people like him. Phil Howard um, was a big thing, and I worked with him a while as well. Um, and that's where I know Scott Pickett from because Scott was the generation in front of us. And then when I came to Australia, me and Scott knew of each other. And then we met each other in Perth for the first time at Gourmet Escape. And I, I went, Digger. And he went, Nelly. And it was, and we've become friends ever since. Like, and we, yeah, we still talk most days. He's just a lovely little guy. And it's just, um, it's just funny how the world is so small in our industry. Um, but then I worked at Stanley House under a chef called Steve Williams, who'd worked um, for Gordon for a long time, and he worked at Le Manoir as well. So he was somebody that really looked after me in the industry as well. He took me under his wing, and he gave me my first head chef position at 22, um, which was amazing. And we were pushing for Michelin stars, and, and uh, yeah, it was a special special build, that one. Um, and Steve's still there now, I think, and it's 20-odd years later, he's still there. So... Um, so he was one that really gave me a break in the industry because that was, I'll be honest with you, I was too young. I shouldn't have been given that opportunity at that age. Um, but I, I think looking back at the time and knowing when you own your own business, sometimes you've just got to go with people you trust. And if you're a little bit inexperienced, you can watch them from afar. And I think that's what he did. And, and to be honest with you, it, it was a big learning curve for me, that. Um, and then I left there and um, I came over to Australia in 2010. What, yeah. what triggered the decision to come to Australia? You'll like this. So we had me and my best mate, Kirk. Um, so Kirk's uh, a, a very good chef as well. We we were sat at a, a pub and we looked at each other and said, that we need to get out of this country. Like We've been around. We've worked at different places on and off. And we, he'd been at the French Laundry for three months. And he come back and he just like, right, it's time for us to, to stamp our mark. We need to move. So we had New York... Um, Melbourne and Sydney written on a on a beer mat um, on the back of this beer mat Boddington's beer mat it was <laughs> and, and we looked at it and we said to each other okay where are we going what are the pros and cons New York um, 
yeah, we can go and work at XYZ in New York. Yeah, Melbourne, uh, Attica was kicking off then at the time and uh, other restaurants as well. And Scotty's places were just starting to open as well. And then we looked at Sydney and we went, there's beaches and women and we're both single. <laughs> and we ripped off the others and we picked Sydney and we, we, came, to, we came to Sydney, um, which was amazing. Before Nell, what were you doing in, in Sydney? So I worked, when I first landed, um, I actually landed with £200 because, again, I'd always lived at home and I'd always lived in, in chef blocks, if you know what I mean, in housing units that the money would come out your wage and you just wouldn't miss your rent. So coming to Sydney actually was like a massive grow up for me because I actually didn't understand bonds and I didn't understand paying rent. <laughs> I didn't understand bank accounts because my money would go in my bank and it would go out. So it was like, all I did was work. So when I came to Sydney, I had 200 pounds, which was $400. And I turned up and we were in a hotel in Woolloomooloo, um, um, which I'd paid up front from England for 10 days. Um, and everybody turned around to me and said, you need to go and get a job. You've got no money. And I was like, I've got a Tesco credit card for £3,000. Like, that'll do. <laughs> like, <laughs> and everyone's like, no, no, you need to go off now because your bond is $2,600 for the flat that you want. So I was like, oh, for God's sake. So uh, Tim was a chef that was at Aria who worked with Kirk in London when we were back in, in the, I think it was at uh, Pierre de Terre with Shane. And... Um, we said to him, look, have you got any jobs going? And, and I went to Aria and I did a, a, a trial at Aria with Tim and it was just too much for me. And it was just, it was this big yield from what I'd come from to what I was doing. And then I, I became friends with Ben Turner through that. And he went, Simon Sandal, like, was massive. But then Simon said to me, look, I'm running the Opera House. I need some hands over Christmas. Will you come to Sydney Opera House and help me do New Year's Eve? And I said to him, mate, yeah, this is an Englishman coming to this country. I get to work in the Sydney Opera House. Like, this is wow. And I'd never done catering in my life. So when I turned up and he's like, first day, and he goes, can you prep them 350 lamb ribs for me? <laughs> I'm like, oh, Jesus. Anyway, from there, me and Simon became really good friends. And, and, I, and he offered me a sponsorship to stay in the country. And I actually met a girl at the time. And I said, okay, I'll, I'll stay. And I ended up running the opera house for him with another couple of guys, which was amazing. And from there, I made some amazing friendships through that of contacts of the uh, catering industry, the, the events industry, but also some chefs as well that have become very close friends of mine through working through Simon. And, and Matt, obviously, uh, he was he was at catering at the time. Um, so we launched all of that for him. And then after two years, catering just got to me it was just too much it was i'm not doing what i do and it wasn't precision enough and it wasn't um you know technical enough for me so i left and and uh i got offered a job in hong kong so i actually moved to hong kong in 2013 uh to go and open saint betty for shane osborne so uh he rung me and kirko and said look i'm opening this new restaurant in central can you come and help me open so we both said, well, you know what, I'm, I'm in a job that I'm not enjoying as much as I used to. He was at Mark at the time, and he just left Mark, and he said, yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna leave as well. So I said, okay, well, we'll go. So he went ahead and started the, the start of it, and we were both offered two chef positions at the time. And then I followed four weeks later. By the time I got there, Kirk had left because he just he just didn't like, he didn't like Hong Kong. Um, it was too busy for him, so he went back to the... 
he went to Brazil, I think, and then he went back to Sydney. And then I went to help Shane. And then um, same thing happened, you know, we were offered a couple of flats and, and stuff. We never got the, the accommodation that we were got. And then we had to find our own accommodation. It was like a thousand dollars for the size of a shoebox. And I just turned around to my missus and like, let's do three months here and let's just let's just go like he's fine with it anyway after two months shane said there's no point you're carrying on if you're not going to carry on here and we were like yeah completely agree so i went and helped jason atherton at 22 ships for a month because i knew jason from london um and i just said you know i'll do a month for you and i'm gonna go back to sydney but i ended up going back to england for six months and worked at a place called the feversham which was a two mission star restaurant in the north and i went and helped a friend open that um, and I actually spent some time at home and actually had Christmas at home. Um, and then coming back from there, we came through uh, Singapore and the, and the girlfriend at the time said to me, so, okay, who are you going to work for when you get back to, to Sydney? And I went, oh, I don't know. So I contacted Martin Ben and, um, and his head chef at the time. And they said, yeah, yeah, you, you can come in. And I said, you know what? I just want to do it myself. I was 28. And she, go, and she goes, what do you mean you want to do it yourself? You've got no money. And I said, I'll, I'll get some money. Just, I want to do it myself. And I, and I told her my vision. And she's like, yeah, let's let's do it. Do it. No problem at all. So I actually borrowed money from her house. Um, she she owned the house. So we borrowed money from that. And that actually gave us the money then to set up to set up now. Wow. What was it, what was it like taking that risk and... and- um, creating your own restaurant. Take us back to that period of time of what it was like building Nell. So the, the, the Nell, as it was before, you've been down, Anthony, a couple of times. The the, the restaurant itself was actually a, a dungeon. It was actually a basement of a hotel. So there was just every, when I walked in through the back door, it was cockroaches and rats. It was horrible. It was disgusting. Like there was no entrance at the front door. Anyway, the estate agent rung me up. Uh, the estate agent rung me up and said, "Look, there's a bar that's fallen through because of the liquor license laws has changed, and there's a space going, and I think it's perfect for your restaurant." So I walked in, and um, I just had this vision straight away where the kitchen would go and where the bar would go, um, and how it would work. So I had a meeting with the landlord at the time, Alex Thorpe, and he. I actually walked in, I don't know why I did this, but I walked in in thongs, shorts, and a T-shirt and just meet him, <laughs> right? And I look back on this, and I actually get on with Alex really well now, and, and we laugh at it still. And um, he said, you just sat around this round table with four executives who were all in suits, and you're in <laughs> shorts, thongs, and a T-shirt. And he said, and you just told us your vision. And he said, by that passion, uh, and I also did some research that you can't pay for anything that you can't take away from a rental place. So I said, well, I can't take away the toilets, guys, and I can't take away a staircase for a separate entrance, and I can't take away induction, uh, the uh, units for the fans, for the fans units. I said, so you guys are going to have to pay for all that. So they all went away and like looked into it, and they came back to me and said, oh, we'll, we'll pay for that. No problem. You just pay for the fit-out. So the 200000 that I got from the house actually paid for the fit out of Nell, for the original Nell, um, when we did it. So, like I said, I spent 199.98 <laughs> on everything from food to wine. And, and we opened on um, the 13th of February 2015, it was. Well, I, I did come in in those early days. But tell us about what your food was like then, because it's changed so dramatically since... Yeah, again, things take time. 
in, in food and, and visions of, of and that all comes down to money, it all comes down to, you know, um, staff and everything. Like I just see Neil's just starting to get his new place going and, you know, he's, it's amazing what he's done down there in Double Bear with it, with the money that he's got behind him. And it's like, if I had that money at that time, you know, could you go straight in with the vision that you had? And the answer is probably yes. But because I was on my own and, you know, no money behind me, I, th- I had to be very careful and I had to cook for, you know, with the produce, the amazing produce and for the people of Sydney. But also you have to start trying to get your name out there. Um, you know, you, you, you technically you are and, and no one, you, nobody knows you. And you just popped up underneath a hotel. So people are so ill, I'm going to walk past and go, oh, I'm going to go in there. Because when you walk past it, you actually don't know it's a restaurant. So it was all about how clever we were with the marketing and how we got it out there. So then people went, all right, there's a restaurant there. Let's let's go, let's try it. And it was very traditional British cooking done well, differently at the start. And that's how me and Fabian did it. Fabian was the head chef at the time. He was with me for five, four years. Um, German boy, really lovely. And um, so we had this vision together and we said, you know what, we can do this by cooking well, but also getting the name out there slowly. Um, because if we went hard, honestly, if we went hard at the start, Anthony, I don't think we'll be here now. Because I think to sustain a good restaurant, you have to be you have to be patient and you have to be careful and you have to be um, well-disciplined in what you do. And that's what I believe we're still here after six years. So from there, we, we then... After about two years, I managed to get enough money in the bank, I'm not talking a lot, to then start getting plates made for me because I actually, we get all our plates made, we get all our stuff created for us. And that's what I always wanted. Tell us about the the creative process because as you alluded to earlier on, it's all about the story uh, behind a dish and the story on the plate as well. When, when, did, when did this all start for you the, the, when you started heading down that track? So I've always wanted to do that since the age of uh, 23, 24. I've always had in my brain, stories is everybody's life. Everybody has a memory in their life and how you use that memory is is how you affect you as a person. So for me, it's to make people happy. I love to make people happy. Um, so what makes people happy is, is memories of growing up in food. So if it's growing up in Australia, if it's growing up in you know Asia or in in england or if it's storytelling like that's that's how we did it and when we had enough money to buy the props and we had enough money to actually go and we had the the right staff because at the time in 2017 18 we had an amazing team at that time so we could come together and we could really create what we the visions of what we wanted um so to get that going it took it took about two and a half years to get it going but then when we dropped the first one that we did, which was the British classic one, people just went mental for it. And you could see that there was a gap in the city for what we were doing, um, which I was glad that we did. Um, because everybody everybody in Sydney did cook amazing food. Like We've got so many amazing restaurants in, in the country, um, but nobody does this kind of food. Uh, but in Europe, it's very, very popular. So, you know, tickets in, in Spain is massive. Like you buy a ticket and there's a there's a store that you know there's a, a chapter that you go through. Obviously, Heston in the old days you didn't go down the same road, but there was a story behind a dish all the time of his stuff. So I always wanted to go around there, and because I'm a kid at heart, I always wanted to develop menus that made people one happy and two bring back memories. And when you see an Aussie person stick that lamington in the mouth, 
that we do with, you know, Illawarra plum on it and, and everything, it makes people smile and they go, oh my God. And we created a fairy bread dish that was full of nitrogen and snow and people people are eating it and they look at each other and go, how's he done that? Like, that's, that's fairy bread. And we're like, yeah, it's fairy bread. Yeah, it's like, um, and then there's bits of jokes along the way, you know, we, we have, you know, knowing me as, as people do now, you know, I'm, I'm a jokey lad. I love, I love a bit of fun. And we add that into our dishes. You know what I mean? Like there was, there was, uh, Winston Churchill was on a dish. We had a, we had a him with his fingers up, you know, from World War Two because that is a big piece of my history. But in between that was a prawn, you know, and, and, and we had a newspaper with things on it. And it's just, yeah, we, we, we do a lot of things like that. But then we dropped Once Upon a Time three years ago, which is about Disney films and Disney scenes. And I came out of the office and I said to my team, I want to do a menu around Disney. And... And my, my chef at the time, Damien, looked at me and he goes, are you are you high? And I went, no, 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 no. I was like, everybody loves Disney. It doesn't matter if you are 84 or, or 17. Like, everybody loves Disney. So I want to create menus around the scenes and the characters of Disney. So anyway, I got to, I got to work on it. Um, and we, for example, on the first menu, Anthony, we did a, Cinderella, so we called it Biddy Boddy Boo. And it's all around that scene of when that pumpkin gets changed into the carriage, then Cinderella can go to the ball. So what we did was we got our grower, our pumpkin grower, to get us some small pumpkins, and he stopped them at a certain uh, size for us. We got big pumpkins, we hollowed them out, we filled them with pumpkin seeds, we put the two small pumpkins in the pumpkin, we put the lid back on top with flavoured pumpkin smoke, and when that lid comes off at the table, the smoke comes up, exactly like the movie when it goes, Choof! and then the, the pumpkins go onto a plate in front of you, and inside that was a pumpkin ravioli spiced pumpkin soup. And and people were like, oh, my God, this is amazing. Like, how have you done this? And we killed Bambi's mum for the main course. So it was a beautiful piece of venison. But the touch, the touch of that was a shotgun pellet with... Uh, shotgun pellets of, of buckwheat wasabi and quinoa, crispy quinoa in a shotgun pellet that would season the dish at the table. So people would see that that venison's, you know, beautifully cooked with beetroot, blah, blah, blah. Um, so with that, it went absolutely mental, like mental. So we did chapter two last year, which was dishes under the sea, which was Sebastian the crab. So we did beautiful spanner crabs from North Queensland. And um, we cooked it, but then we, we created a bubble that would actually would stay on the plate in a glass bowl so you could see through it. And underneath was the crab with a roasted macadamia puree. But then on the top was these bubbles that were made of vinegar and tomato. So it looked like the ocean. And people would go mental for this. So we're just about to launch chapter three, which is next Tuesday, all all depending, but it's going it's going while we've just launched it. But some of the dishes we've got, like we've got Pirates of the Caribbean on this one, which is dead man's chest and the dish is all around Davy Jones's heart because his heart gets ripped out because he breaks his heart and it gets put in that chest so what we've done is created Davy Jones is a squid and we've created squid which has been marinated in spiced beetroot so it's gone red and we've done black garlic emulsion and garlic chips so it sits in a chest with with pirate coins and when you open that chest again that little bit of smoke or nitrogen and you eat your kebab of, of squid Tell us about the creative process to create these dishes. What sort of research and, you know, take us to your place when you're creating them. 
Yeah, so my missus calls me a nutter. So, <laughs> but she she gets me. So it's obviously she's married me, so she gets me. But um, we 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 have lots of conversations together about what my ideas are, and she understands me. So, for for, for example, we'll go for the Once Upon a Time menu. I will watch films of that, and now I've just had a little one. It excites me again because I can watch them again with her. But um. I watch the films and there'll be a certain scene that people remember or I remember that sticks in my mind. I jot that down and then it's how you can create a dish around that. So it's flavours. What does it look like? How how does that come to? So the Monsters Inc. dessert for the new menu, I'm obsessed with Mike Wazowski's eye. I love his <laughs> eye. So I said to my Persia chef, Gavin, I said, how can we, cre- we, we can create a dish around Mike Wazowski's eye? And he goes, mate, no chance. Right, we're doing 80 a night of this. He says, no chance, you, you need to get 80 moulds. They cost X, Y, Z. I was like, that's fine. So we've got a mould made for us that's got, that's going to be a sphere. And because he's green as a character, we've turned that eye into a, a white chocolate, roasted pine and peppermint uh, parfait. So on the top of that, I've covered it. We've, we've got this floss machine and we've made a floss of the colours of J.P. Sullivan who is blue and purple. So we've covered the eye with J.P. Sullivan's fair because when they made Monsters Inc., the first time that they did um, 3D imaging of, of uh, cartoons with them, the fair moved for the first time. So you could see it. So I was obsessed with the fair. So we've created the floss that sits on the top, which is made of um, you know sugar and blueberry and everything. But then we've created a green yuzu cucumber consomme that goes around the whole dish so then that, that's the that's the dessert so when the waiters come out we we sit them down we do a lot of training with them that's how we explain it to them this is how it needs to be said to the customer because there's a story behind that dish i'll be honest with you Anthony. everybody doesn't get it and and that's fine you know what i mean because some people want to go out and just have a nice piece of pan fried fish and and vegetables but people that research when they come here they actually understand oh my god there's actually a there's a story behind this it's actually quite exciting and from minute one all the way through to the last dessert, you, you, you get that story. So the last petit four is creme de la Egda, and it's all about when Egda in the Aristocats is making that um, milk for the cats because he wants to steal the money from them, so he wants to get rid of them. So he puts the sleeping pills in the milk. So we've created a bomb of a milk that's with the flavours of cinnamon, nutmeg, mace, and it's rolled in biscuit because the mice, the mouse comes out and dips his biscuit in the milk. So, we, so it's all about that scene. So that's how we. That's that's where it comes from. Have there been any sort of disasters in this sort of creative process? And you know, are there challenges involved in keeping the integrity and flavors with such creativity? A hundred percent. You know, and that's the that's the first thing that comes across. It's got to be. It's got to eat well. It's got to balance well. So that's what we always look at first, and then we look at you know your props and what we can serve it in afterwards. Um, Mike, there's been a few disasters because there has along the way across, across, across the 20 years of cooking there's been a few disasters but um, yeah you know we create a dish and I think we did one for um, uh, Lion King and the first menu and it was about African flavours and people just didn't get the African flavour you know what I mean they just they didn't understand them spiciness and, and it, it, it was fine so after a week we realised very quickly ah, this doesn't work so we changed it. So we completely changed the whole dessert. And then once we changed it, it we didn't hear about it again. But again, we, we take we take criticism very, very on board here. We're not we're not a restaurant that's arrogant that goes, you know what, 
if you've got an opinion, I don't care. You know what I mean? It's, it is, we listen to people because at the end of the day, if you hear, I, I, there's a rule in our restaurant. If you, if you have a complaint about something three times, we change it. doesn't matter. You know, so we, we look at it and we change it because three people are going to say it. Then there's going to be more people that say it along the way. So you've got to be also very open to, to changing things. You've just flown back into um, a kind of a soft lockdown in, in Sydney from New Zealand. What was it like to get away um, for the first time in ages? And in, is an international knell something that you have thought about? Yeah, for first part of the question, family. I just had a little girl, um, Lottie, yeah, so she's three months now. Um, which opened your eyes massively. And uh, Danielle's from Mount Albert in Auckland, so we went back and saw the family and the grandparents. So to see them for the first time in 15 months was very, very exciting since the wedding last year, actually. Um, but typical me, while I'm there, I'm scouting around. I rented a car for four, three days, and I actually went round all the suburbs on, in Auckland because we're going to open Nell there next year. Wow. So that's actually happening. So... Um, we see a gap in Auckland's cooking scene, what we saw in Sydney at the time of, of you know, the same storytelling, the same everything, but um, amazing produce over there. And, you know, again, there's going to be their own challenges over there as well with, you know, less less people living in a city, so we're going to have to get better, you know, the staff and all that. But it's a challenge that I'm really excited about. And, um, yeah, we're looking at different uh, avenues and different uh, sites at the minute, um, which is very exciting. So, yeah, we're looking at maybe... April next year or we'll probably leave it till maybe August or something Once if we don't want to rush it there's no rush there is no rush at all um, but it's, it's definitely going to happen next year with this level of creativity that you have and the and the brand that you've built has a year and a half last year and a half changed the way you operate and see your business yeah I, I look at we were fortunate, Anthony, actually, last year because so many restaurants struggled last year through, through obviously, reasons that we know. And I don't like the word, so I don't use it. Um, so I find it so negative, so everybody gets down on it, so I don't use it. But um, we were quite fortunate because we actually had our best year as in revenue last year than we've ever had. And, and that was, I think, due to we shut for 11 weeks in March. I just got married and got back and I had to shut the restaurant. It was the most weirdest time. Um, and we 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 locked down. We we did these takeaway bots. So we saw on the news. I saw on the news that old people couldn't get to the supermarkets because they were scared. So we ended up doing food boxes at now that we we launched them very early, where we would deliver them to people that were really struggling to get out. So in there, we did recipe cards and raw foods for people to actually cook at home because people were were bored. So we ended up doing that for about six weeks, and then I actually got bored and realised I'm not a courier service when I nearly got when I nearly got stuck in Bondi one day. Um, and I said to Danielle, I said, you know what? When when in twenty years have I managed to sit on a couch and actually relax for five weeks? I said, I don't think I'm going to have this opportunity again. Um, and at the time, we had three sponsored staff in the kitchen and obviously our mate Scomore said if you're foreign and you don't have a visa go home which is the worst thing he ever said um my staff you can't lose your staff and that's your head chef your sous chef and your senior chef departed from your kitchen so I ended up paying him for five weeks six weeks and I just paid him and I said you don't need to do anything I'm not going to take your holidays off you just 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 go home 
have six weeks off, enjoy yourself, and then let's get back and we, we, we open up again and we, we go hard again. But again, we didn't know how long it was going to be at that time. But anyway, it worked out to be six weeks. We opened up with the best dishes of Nell over the course of, so we did a bit of an Instagram um, to our followers and said, you know, what are your favorite dishes over the last four years? Uh, and then we worked it out. We put a menu together and we sold out that menu. We ran it for six weeks and we sold it inside three days of opening, which was amazing. So that showed to us that the people that come here for most menus missed us when they were locked down, which was amazing. And then we went straight into the Once Upon a Time Chapter 2, which went absolutely mental. We were doing nine, 80 covers every night, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday lunch and Saturday night. Um. And then we rolled into Christmas and it was just like, wow, okay, we've had an amazing year. Um, but then you're hearing of your mates that are shutting down restaurants and you, I just don't talk about it because it's just so sad. Um, but as an industry, we're, we're hitting a different kettle of fish now and that is all staffing, isn't it? I'm very fortunate. I've got amazing staff here and I've got a lot of loyal staff that have stayed, but other restaurants are now struggling because we don't have that, that foreigners that are coming in that are taking certain jobs, you know, and there's not enough people in the city to take them jobs with the restaurants you know so it's uh it's a different different task now which is a bit different time but anyway we'll we'll crack on we all come together and we'll just yeah keep going with time you've been able to build the restaurant that you've dreamed of building uh, what, what are you most proud of in your career so another thing i'll just tell you as well we're redeveloping the restaurant anthony in october so i'm ripping it out so i'm ripping the toilets out and I'm ripping, I'm ripping uh, the office out where I've got my office. And we're actually going to make it. Dan- Danielle's Danish, uh, Danish Kiwi, and she's got this um, Scandinavian style of of um, design that is unbelievable. So we're going to actually make it a little bit more uh, mellow, if that makes sense. So the entrance is still going to be unbelievable with the tree hanging and the lights and all this. When you walk in. We've got some designs that are going to come for the table. So we've got separate tables that are all different. Um, but then we're going to build a wine room, which we've I've dreamt about for six years because <laughs> we've got this little storage room for our wine. So we're going to build a wine room where the toilets are and we're going to rebuild toilets. So we're going to have it a little bit more uh, swish when we have it. So that's in October. Um, so we're really excited about that. What was that question, Anthony? Sorry, I missed that one. I was too busy telling you that. <laughs> Well, I just said you've been able to build uh, your dream restaurant and you're going to be adding to it um, later this year. But what are you most proud of? I'm proud that we're still here after six years because it's been a tough road. Um, You know, it's been it's been tough to Sydney to crowd is a tough crowd to crack. And, you know, and people, but especially not knowing me who I am, I think was a very big thing but now people are understanding us you know it's 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 become very successful that we just want to continue wowing people but yeah being here after six years and being able to support that is is actually the biggest achievement ever you know what i mean it's just remarkable remarkable that a a young man of 29 comes into a big city and borrows money and opens up a restaurant and he's still here six years later and yeah, I'm just, I'm so proud of myself. I'm so proud of my team over the years, every individual that's worked here over the years. Um, and yeah, long it continue because we, we enjoy doing what we do and we enjoy making people happy. Well, Nelly, we've loved having you on Deep in the Weeds today and we definitely need to catch up down the track and see what you're up to because there's a lot going on. Um, please keep in touch and we'll talk again soon. 
Thanks, mate. Much appreciated. Thanks, guys. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.